episode of Rank and Review. I am your host and random Canadian Larry Parsons and we are once again going to talk about creature features, monster movies. Rayleigh and I were struggling to find a name for this episode, a theme that came through all of these movies. We're going to jump through all sorts of different approaches on all sorts of different monster movies. So yes, it's Rayleigh Perkins and Larry Parsons versus monster movies in this edition of Rank and Review. As usual, if you have feedback to send me, you can send that to rankinreview at gmail.com. That's R-A-N-K-N-R-E-V-I-E-W at gmail.com. And of course, the website is rankinreview.ca. You should go into the podcast expecting there to be spoilers and coarse language probably from me because I am not a mature adult. It's just a fact, even in my 40s. If you have other things that you would like to jam in your ears in the terrifying two-week gaps in between Rank and Review episodes, I would encourage you to check out the shelf-shutting movie show hosted by my friend and frequent Rank and Review guest, Mr. Jason Dubray, and check out the other local podcast to me, The Terror Table. They know what they're doing. In the meantime, we have six monster movies to discuss, so let's hop on board. We have the lovely and uh, always wonderful to have on the podcast, Miss Bailey Perkins. Returning to the show, big round of applause. <laughs> Yay! <clears throat> you and I have talked creature movies before, and uh, I think this is a different bunch of movies in that, at least for you and I to talk about, in that I don't know how intentional all of the cheese is in, in some of these movies. If that makes sense, as far yeah. as as far as our meal that we're going to be uh, having, like we've talked about sand sharks and we've talked about Lake Placid and we've talked about very self conscious sort of B movie monster movies that are like, eh, eh, look at me. And for the most part, with with maybe one exception that we can we'll, we'll, we'll talk about, uh, I don't feel like these movies are that. Uh, for me, th- these are my kind of monster movies in that whether or not they fall into familiar trappings or not, they're unselfconscious <laughs> about what they're doing. They're, they're pure, just trying to entertain you, and they just want to be a good 
monster movie. They're not winking at you. They're not teaching you anything. <laughs> you know, this is a monster movie. That's what I the felt going in. They take themselves way more seriously than some of the other movies we've talked about. <laughs> That's right. And how do yeah. you feel about that? I fall on the other side of things. Right. In that I like the camp and the winking and the, like, over-the-topness of some of the other ones. There's some great moments in these movies there's some great monsters like there's some really great parts of these movies but they're just not generally the ones that i tend to fall like gravitate towards the special effects are just a little too good aren't they <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's a bit, bit of a bigger budget in most of these movies unfortunately for me well i just did an episode with mr beckman of bad movie nights and uh uh you, you know one might look at the you know list of movies here and think this is just another bad movie episode but I don't necessarily really back that play I mean uh I do are all these movies amazing no but these are not like so bad they're good to me either they're they're just what they are Beckman was very jealous of my list when I showed him the movies he's like oh that's great Those yeah are great movies well, Beckman's got a real fondness for Frankenfish. I don't know what he's a, he's a big believer. So, are we going to hurt his feelings today, really? <laughs> well, I don't know. We'll only time will tell. <laughs> so, thank you once again. We're doing this over uh, the computer, so hopefully everything holds together well. I'm going to do this a little bit sleep deprived, and we're going to talk about six crazy creature features. Is there anything that you wanted to say? By way of introduction or, or, or any shout outs you want to make to the world on the interwebs? Uh, no, I think I'm just ready to dive in. All right. Unless it says Frankenfish, then I don't want to dive in. <laughs> uh, let's do this. Let's let's make you a new champion. Because if you steal Lee's championship, you might, you might, uh, you know, I don't, you might make him cry. You might see actual Beckman tears. <laughs> what is Lee's championship? He's gone six for six with me on Rankin Review. He is the reigning Rankin Review champion. Um, wow, you guys matched six for six. Six for six, yeah. It's happened a few times. We've had other champions. Karen Giese famously held it for like something like almost 40 episodes or something like this, but then all of a sudden it started jumping around. Everyone, There's a few people that have had turns. Gareth won, my buddy Matt won, but right now, holding the, the crown and who covets it, <laughs> Mr. Lee Beckman. So, uh, he, Might try to knock him down. Yeah, yeah. He, you don't have to change your list just to try to win, but, uh, you know. You know. <laughs> and, uh, I'm not no, that petty. No, because I know you're thinking it, Lee. This is not me cheering for your defeat. This is me cheering for Ray Lee's victory. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, let's get started. The six movies that Ray Lee Perkins and me, your host and random Canadian Larry Parsons, are going to talk about. We have Graveyard Shift, a Stephen King adaptation, kind of, sort of, maybe. We have an anthology movie called Monsterland. We have a found footage movie called Extinction. We have the aforementioned Frankenfish, and we have a eco-horror called The Thaw, featuring Val Kilmer, and of course, Psycho Gorman. We're going to finish it off with uh, a Canadian-made weirdest shit movie called Psycho Gorman. <laughs> Thanks for being here, yes. Joe. Stephen King 
invites you to venture deep inside the caverns below the old Bachman Mill. You're not thinking about going down in there. Where a secret lies long forgotten by any living soul. Just ain't no job worth this. The workers suspected. You can't put me down there. You can't put anybody down there. I know things. The owner denies it. What did happen to the fellow that started this job? It didn't work out. And everyone fears it. This place is infested. That might be the understatement of the year. Broken? Because one by one, it will devour them all. We're like shrimp in an all-you-can-eat salad bar, and that thing ain't stopping till it's full. Must be some other way out of here. Yeah! It's This isn't real. This is the new horror from the mind of Stephen King. Graveyard Shift. Good benefits. Early retirement. So, uh, if you've listened to the show, you know I'm a big fan of Stephen King. <laughs> and... Um, this film, Graveyard Shift, is based off a short story from his first short story collection, I believe published in the 70s, late 70s, Night Shift. And basically the location matches the story. There's this old mill that's like way past its prime. Beneath it it's infested with like forgotten basements and sub-basements, just infested with rats and bats and rotting furniture and floods and gross. And a work crew is hired in the middle of this boiling hot summer to clean out this basement. And they encounter what they think is just sort of a hive of rats, but of course some sort of monstrous Stephen King creation comes out and starts eating people. The, the, the premise is there, but the story is, is kind of, it ha necessarily crazily expanded upon. This is a movie that in 1990... Uh, the one that I really should have liked because it was like ticking all these boxes for me. Stephen King, monster movie. They actually shot it in Maine. They, they said it in Maine. They hit the Stephen King like accent thing really hard. There's a lot of these beats that you expect as a Stephen King fan to see that you do see. But in 1990, I remember being meh about the movie. But uh, because I'm a Stephen King fanatic and because I'm a monster movie fanatic, I kept on bumping into the movie. And parts of the movie would always sort of stick with me, and periodically I would revisit it. And uh, I got to the business, because I'm a grown-up human being, of collecting all of the Stephen King adaptations that I could on DVD. And it seems like every time I watched it, I ended up liking it more to when, like, my 1991 review would have probably been thumbs down to me is like, this is a guilty thumbs up. I see how it's not great, but it it really does check, check a lot of nostalgic boxes for me, and it does make me laugh, however unintentionally, out loud several times. It's got a few genuinely knee-slapping, holy shit, they went there moments for me. And uh, I think there's enough oddities in it and enough actually decent, if over-the-top performances that I will recommend Graveyard Shift to that audience but am i crazy yeah. no it was great i just uh had a totally different tagline for this movie in that i was like going at it with like a group of like ragtag blue collar workers combined to get better labor uh <laughs> union guy i love 
OHS policies for their small male community. It's totally like a workers' rights movie to me. <laughs> also with monsters, and it was really great. But I loved all of the like OHS posters in the background. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't know if you noticed that, but. Uh, I really. capitalism. As far as being Stephen King, I don't know how much you've read of Stephen King, but there are certain things that you can come to expect. Like uh, a villain we have in this movie, Stephen Macht, playing like this grade A pointlessly evil guy who's in charge of this, this dying factory. The mill's going to close. He's not going to be able to lord this power for any kind of long time. It's not like it's a great privilege to be asked to hose out this rotting, disgusting, infested basement, but he lords it over these people like it's this gift, this jewel that he's offering them. And the performance by Stephen Mack is so big that it, it is kind of hilarious. It's great. Yeah, he's just like the uh, epitome of like toxic masculinity, <laughs> just in every... He reminds oh. me of, like, uh, Daniel Day-Lewis in that, like, box, like, not boxing, is it a boxing movie he's in where he just, like, holds his chest up and, like, puffs out all the time and <laughs> very tough. He's very tough. He hits his pregnant girlfriend and hits on one of his employees within, like, about, a, I don't know, a few hours of each, each incident. He is... In by, front of the whole town. Yeah. He hits her. In some scenes, he seems like he's trying to be super buddy-buddy, but on a dime, he will go crazy, crazy hostile. And then we have Brad Dourif. You wouldn't think we would find like anyone who's going to overact Brad Dourif. Brad Dourif plays the exterminator, the, the nom vet who has a personal vendetta against these rats, and he has a very, very Quint from Jaws monologue, which I have to say, I think is legitimately well executed. <laughs> It was great. With uh, his little dog companion. Yeah, and uh, like he cries. He Like Brad Dorff produces tears while he gives us this monologue about how much he hates rats and how much he was traumatized in Nam. And there's real specificity even to how he's got uh, military sort of implementation to his exterminator uniform. Like he's never let go. <laughs> It's like a needlessly over-flushed-out character for this movie, because in any other horror movie, he's just victim number three. But, like, Brad Dorp really leans into it. Like, he goes for it. He gives that exterminator his all, you know? <laughs> There's funny moments, too. I like that one of the people, maybe the only person on the crew who survives, was the guy who was lucky enough to get fired. It was a bit much, but uh, I love the idea of being alone at night working, and I work alone at night fairly often, and like, like these rats watching you, and having to get like used to that, and how fucked up that would be, and then like, how many rats is too much? How far until this goes from uncomfortable to creepy, and from creepy to terrifying, and from terrifying to get the fuck out of there? It, it, it went there. I think it went there. I think this movie kind of walked 
that line very great, very closely. Uh, do you know who Andrew Divoff is? Uh, who was he in the movie? He's the guy who freaks out. He he like panics so bad that he basically says he can't go on anymore and sits there where he is. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, it's funny because he usually plays real tough guy, macho characters or villains. He plays the Wishmaster in the Wishmaster series. If you if you're feeling like a nice '90s nostalgic action movie, seek out Toy Soldiers. <laughs> oh, I love that movie. He's the main bad guy in Toy Soldiers the, that takes ah, the school hostage. Okay, okay. Yeah. Anyway, I always kind of liked that guy, and I thought it was kind of an interesting role for him because he is so not macho in this movie. In fact, he completely falls apart. And uh, I, I don't know, I kind of liked it. Yeah, it's just some rats, eh? Can't handle it, eh? <laughs> <laughs> not at all. There was a weird continuity error that I noticed. <laughs> when Warwick goes full crazy down in the wherever they are it's at some point stops being a basement and starts becoming a cavern into hell he like smears all this black tarry mud on his face he goes full like blackface for some reason and then the next scene when he attacks him it's not there anymore it was just like this (laughs) weird like why was that there (laughs) I was trying to figure that out too like is he like I yeah I, I didn't notice that he had it off in the next scene, but I was wondering why he covered his face in yeah. gross cavern mud. But it's one of those movies where even its flaws are kind of in its ways, it's sort of its assets. Like it makes it interesting to me. Is it super obvious when the dude reaches his arm into the hole in the wall that something's gonna blender his hand? Yeah, it is. But it's still kind of shocking and grotesque. And I loved when it happened. It was great. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It mostly works for me. It's also a very sweaty, sticky movie. I found myself sort of uh, being sympathetic to that kind of muggy atmosphere and having no escape from it. Like, they were all kind of gross before they went down into this terrible place. And And they're dirty. Like, they can just see their, like, dirty coveralls and they're, like, peeling them off when they have their breaks and stuff. I'm like, I don't think that's the point. Like, I think you need to wear those all the time. Oh, no. I also just really had a lot of questions about like smoking in a cotton mill yeah like, i just felt like the ohs policies probably would have said that smoking during a, a mill during a heat wave the risks yeah let's chain smoke through this heat wave i'm really going back to this workplace sort of like uh, thing that you're going to because the one guy who does try to stand up for warwick is fired and is expelled and he does survive. Everybody who just shuts up and follows orders ends up dead. <laughs> I guess our hero makes the day, but I like to think he's forever changed by his time down there. <laughs> down in the mill caverns? <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't know. I think you could really put like a, a, a like labor lens on this and, and just do a totally different take on this movie. <laughs> <laughs> but I like how it appreciated, you know, like... It's a really basic, simple short story. Like I say, it was expanded well. And I've always been mystified by the movies of kings that catch on and that don't. Like, there's like nine or ten Children of the Corn movies. Right. Why Children of the Corn? Specifically, like, why not a series of graveyard shift bat monster, rat monster movies? Nope, nope, we're sticking with Children of the Corn. I don't know. It's just... It's weird what hits and what doesn't, but for me, this one just hits, and like, uh, the more I like it, the more I think, hey, give it another 10, 20 years, this might be one of my faves. (laughs) 
Yeah, you know, this one kind of came out of nowhere for me. Like, I hadn't seen it before. I didn't know what kind of I was going into with it. And, like, I thought it was dated, but great. Like, I, like, I thought, uh, yeah, I, I, I thought it was a good premise. It was, like, it was, like, original in the way that it hit all the tropes, but, like, I hadn't heard that exact story before, so it was really great. Yeah. Um, yeah, I enjoyed it. Castle Rock gets a shout out. <laughs> yeah, I like the main uh, tough girl who has to work all the overtime to, you know, I loved her. She was great. I loved all the scenes in the diner. <laughs> Again, like, just them hanging out, like it just uh, weird I've been random. Small town diners. I've been in those diners. It's great. You're new to our town, so we're gonna put a rat in your food, like. These yeah. weird Stephen King villains that just don't exist in the real world and they're all over his writing and I still like it in spite of it, so I don't know. If you're into creature features, this is a good one, right? Eh? Yeah, no, I agree. Good enough. Can we go, Lens? Hey, you guys hear that? Something's wrong! even worse than I feel. I'm losing my mind. I think I'm turning into a vampire. What were you expecting a grasshopper with its hot back? So one thing I like about this list, other than it's full of monsters, is that we have all sorts of different types. Like, we just talked about a sort of bone-straight monster movie with graveyard shift, but this is an anthology film. The through-line thread about the, these all these different stories are that they're going to have a monster in them. The wraparound story is some guy who is surviving some vague, random, crazed monster apocalypse for whatever reason, takes shelter in a movie theater, which is showing a bunch of short films, and we get we're privy to these short films that he sees. And um, like most anthologies, especially ones that are you know different directors, different writers, this is all over the place: hot, cold, good, bad, indifferent, yes, no, what the fuck. Like uh, you're getting a lot, but I will give them points. In 108 minutes, they told eight stories. <laughs> Which yeah. is like There's a lot going on. That's more than most anthologies, and in a lot of ways, that might hamper them because some of them are so limited by their their runtime. Like, what can you possibly accomplish? So I know that it would be tricky to like break down how do we how do we review such a movie? A lot of these movies were like financed independently, created independently, and sort of sandwiched into this movie. It's like a Dread Central production. I don't know if it was a competition to get it in the movie or if they just like cherry picked some of their more interesting ones from some some interesting creators but we get a bunch of movies and what I thought I would do is just break through the the list of the titles one at a time and see what if anything you remember of each one and and uh, where it would land like wh- how you felt about it does that seem like a fair yeah. approach <laughs> Sounds good The first story is called Don't Go Into the Lake <laughs> It opens with a woman taking off her shirt, jumping in the lake. A bunch of other people follow her, and they get eaten. And that is all. <laughs> That's it. It was 
It had all the moments, yeah. just like right there. <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot, there, let's just say, there's a lot of creature movies that could benefit from editing. Right. And I think that this one figured it out. <laughs> well, this is what I will give it points for. I mean, it's definitely an is-what-it-is movie. And in this case, it knows it. It opens on titties, and it closes on blood in the water. And... It doesn't apologize. It doesn't ask. It doesn't, you know, ask to like subvert anything. Like monster in the water. Here it is. Now give us money to make a feature. So uh, not amazing by any stretch, but amusing. I will say. So I'll give that one a guilty thumbs up. <laughs> okay. Then we have gray matter. Uh, the, there's a, a, a like a parasite in this guy's head that's giving him advice as to how to get this woman he loves. Oh, and also to kill people and sort of be some sort of weird vampire thing. Yeah, he's a bit of a flesh eater, right? Yeah. Like he, yeah. Uh, this, but also wants to date this girl. That's right. I'm like, was this a romance or was it just not like, define yourself, come on. <laughs> Uh, it's a miniature mo- version of a movie from the 80s or early 90s called Brain Damage, I think. So it felt of a borrowed or stolen premise. Um, it was okay, but I'm not I'm not excited about it. And I'm like right now struggling to remember plot points of it, which, you know, that's not a good sign. <laughs> um, I just, uh, I can't say anything to continue to jump and shift radically that's something they like for most anthology movies you have to get used to but especially for this one i would warn you it's going to throw you across the room a few times the next one's called curiosity kills it's about a little boy who gets into his dad's chemicals in a briefcase feeds it to his pet hamster or rat or whatever it is and it goes crazy and has very over-the-top cartoonish violent results did that stick in your memory at all? No, even when you were telling me, I was like, oh yeah, that was, oh, it was, yeah, it was there. That happened. All of those yeah. things that I described happened. and it's It seems to be approached like a strange European film somehow. Like, they're, they're, there's definitely taking a weird slant on the material, but I think this one kind of overstays its welcome and... In a weird way, I started to speak its language. Like, when it became the -the over-the-top violence and people were falling on the chair legs, I was calling what was about to happen before it was going to happen. I was like, I see you, movie. I see what you're doing here. Um, Again, it's amusing, but it's not particularly memorable. This is the one, too, where I felt had a very, like, um... Like, where all the, like, wallpaper and stuff, like, they put... Is that the one where it had a lot of emphasis on, like the sort of, like, house. The hyper-suburban like, style to it. Yes, and it reminded me, just, on, it only reminded me of this because it's fresh in my brain. These movies are not comparable in any way, but, like, in Brain Dead or Dead Alive, there's just, like, so much emphasis on the fancy house and yeah. the feeling of the house. And I just recently rewatched that movie, and I was like, oh, yeah, like, those are kind of, like, that sort of 
high class or suburban or they're really trying to play up that that was like the only thing that stuck in my brain I'm such a fan of Dead Alive (laughs) (laughs) I just made my girlfriend watch it and I it it was it was a barrier we had to cross together I'm just gonna put it there okay well it's not for everyone I get that but uh, it's for me Hag is the next story in Monsterland as uh sleep paralysis perhaps or you know nightmare perhaps or maybe his wife's got an issue or maybe there's literally a hag witch that's going to come and suck the air out of him this is sort of a classic old forms tale it goes way way back into sort of folk tales in european history of this idea of some incubus hag-like woman that will steal steal your breath and infect your dreams um and as someone who suffers from insomnia and uh, is sort of weirdly fascinated with night terrors, it kind of resonated with me for that concept. The execution is what it is. I mean, there's some pretty obvious jump scares to it, but I I like what it's trying to be. And for me, as someone who's the opposite of insomnia, who sleeps like the dead, <laughs> right. I'm always very worried that very dangerous things are happening around me while you're sleeping i'm going to sleep through yeah like i'm going to miss and or someone can do something to me like you know infect me or do something really ominous while i'm sleeping and i will just like wake up and have like no recollection of any of even happening Mm -hmm. and it's a real thing it's real fear (laughs) so it worked for you then it did yeah Mm -hmm. i liked this one i thought it was uh I had some really good moments. Just some like, yeah, it, it was it was a good story. Yeah, it clunky, is, maybe a bit clunky, but good. It felt the most complete in its ABC arc too. It didn't have a lot of time like the other ones did, but it told a very complete story. The next movie or short film is called Monster Man. It's one of the animated ones. The same director did a feature length zombie movie called City of Rot, in this same style of uh, animation. And uh, I don't, I think this kind of animation works in maybe like short humorous segments, but like it certainly didn't sustain a feature. And uh, I was ready for this to be over before it was. Like it's this old guy who can kill any creature with his walker for some reason. And I like, I like where it's crazy heart is at. And like this guy just wants to tell zombie, violent zombie stories and he doesn't care how cheap the animation is, but I do kind of care how cheap the animation is, you know? Yeah, this one didn't hold my attention. I was I was kind of, like, looking all over and just, like, waiting for... Like, kind of looking at my watch, like, yeah. ready for it to be over. Um, that, I mean, say what you will, there's two animated sequences, and this one is the significantly less memorable <laughs> of the two. Um, house call. A dentist gets a visitor in the middle of the night who holds him at gunpoint and begs him to extract teeth because he believes he's turning into a vampire. Yeah. Uh, the extraction I, thing works I, for I, me because uh, I hate the dentist and the idea of not only having your teeth pulled but like forcing someone at gunpoint to do it. <laughs> it's a really difficult and absurd sort of thing that happens but the actors really do a good job of pulling it off I think. Uh, 
I'm a, was a little bummed out at the payoff, but again, it was a short subject. They didn't have a lot of time to tell a complete story. So the premise was sort of the whole meal in that respect. But yeah, it was, maybe. And you, just that idea of like being so taken by madness that you like go to this guy's house and force him to do this thing, right? Like, and, uh, I thought that they pulled that off. And uh, just, yeah, like imagine someone knocking at your door. <laughs> Pull my teeth or I will kill you. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So that was House Call. And uh, then we have Happy Man. It's animated. It's preempted by... We cut back to the dude in the theater. And he has to kill something in the projection room. And then he goes back to eat his popcorn. But he gets some of the creature's blood in his mouth. And he just starts tripping balls. And this absolutely fucking insane kaleidoscope of puppets and animation and puppet animation and stop motion and things eating themselves and vomiting themselves and galaxies flying by your face it reminded me of this really crazy pretend like it was an adult swim show i think but it was pretending like it was a kid's show called wonder shows it was just aggressively weird and random and that's the whole thing, it kind of gave me a headache and a nosebleed, but I had to respect how fucked it was, sort of. Yeah, like, there was no, like, con- like there wasn't a really a story. No. <laughs> it was just, like, it was kind of just, um, what is that, like, did Fantasia for, like, monster movies? <laughs> like, Experience you know, like, this. Where you just, like, did mushrooms and, like, watched all the, like, lights and stuff like that? Like, it was kind of like that, but if you were in the monster movie apocalypse but it's not absolutely and this is not my cup of tea but if you're going to do something like this do it short like at feature length I would go mad I would go mad (laughs) Uh, so yeah then we have stay at home Uh, and this is like uh, the Lacia League story all of the horrors of breastfeeding only it's not a breastfeeding mom it's a breastfeeding dad Twist. Are we supposed to empathize more because it's a dude, or is it supposed to be like a weird, silly Cronenbergian body horror thing? Like, I'm not sure what they were going for here. Well, and I'm like, maybe you were supposed to empathize more because you're a dude, but I was like, suck it up. Like, yeah. deal with it. <laughs> like, whatever, buddy. Get done, get dinner on the table. Like, this is what we gotta do. <laughs> I, I don't know if it was like... An attempt at forcing empathy on, on, on men. This is what they go through or whatever. Like, I honestly don't know what they were going for. I didn't find it funny. I just found it absurd. But it is watchable. Like... <laughs> but then he gets, like, attacked by, like, the robbers. Yes. A home Alone and ending. And, like, squirts the breast milk in his... Bra- or, like, whatever. And I was like... <laughs> it could have just been the story of the stay-at-home dad with breasts. Yeah. Like... The, the trauma of a stay-at-home dad, <laughs> a. But then there's like this robber storyline that I was like, "What is, what I, is happening?" I think the lesson should have been like the only reason he agreed to get the boobs and let his wife work is because he just didn't want to get a job and he thought it would be easy to be a stay-at-home dad. And the punishment or the lesson or the irony is that it would be really difficult for him, right? But. I don't know. They went another direction. <laughs> yeah, they took it somewhere else. It wasn't that. 
And they finish with a segment called Hellyfish, which is sort of a tribute to 60s beach movies, only there's a Lovecraftian sort of seafaring apocalypse that takes place, and a lot of really cheesy CGI violence, which I knew you would connect to, being such a fan of Sand Sharks and all the sci-fi, like, self-consciously, look at, look at what we did with no money. Uh, and uh, it's a great way to finish things, absolutely. I was so glad I stuck with Monsterland because it ended with this. <laughs> yeah. I love the uh, opening scene with the vaguely racist tropes of, I think, Iranian and Russian. I'd say it's not I, so vague, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay, fair, fair. Yeah, that's, that's a valid point. I should that. But, like, yeah, and then the old guy on the beach is like, Ruski! Like, just like. Bouncing jellyfish on the beast, just jumping in people's faces. And, like, and it, like, it descends into madness unapologetically. Doesn't even try to make sense of things. And I also like the, like, Baywatch slow run of the lifeguard. I don't know if you remember that yeah. part. Like, a guy, like, body sprays his, like, crotch because he's going to go hit on... Like, there's just so many moments <laughs> in this movie that it could have longer. Well, I don't think it needed to be in this in this movie, but they could have expanded this into something a little more. Yeah, of the segments, I would say there's two that you could probably get a feature out of, and that's Hellyfish and Hag. I think that oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. you could probably extend those into a really fun feature-length horror movie, but I'm glad for what they are. So that's all of them. I mean, we, Mr. Mom. Mr. Mom is basically a feature-length of... Uh... <laughs> yeah. But they just need to add the titties. They just needed to add the titties, and they were there. So we that, that's all of the stories in Monsterland. And um, it's a hard thing to grade, like an anthology. Overall, I would say I liked it. It's not a waste of time. If you like monster movies, yes. There are skippable entries in it. So it's hard to get enthusiastic. It's, it's closer to, like, as far as anthology movies go, the Twilight Zone movie than it is to Trick or Treat. But I like the Twilight Zone, and I like Trick or Treat. So, yeah, it's lower budget, and it's all over the place. Like I said, it's a very schizophrenic movie, but it's fun. So that's where I like. it gives I you a lot of different tastes. Like, a lot of different people would like different parts of this movie, yeah. right? Like, the parts that you would connect to would be very different. You're probably not going to connect with all of it. Yeah, I doubt anyone would love it wall-to-wall, but I also doubt anyone would hate it wall-to-wall, which is where it leaves me as a weird place reviewing <laughs> But also, if you're in a monster apocalypse and you have to go to a theater and watch monster movies, like that's like a whole other level of like yeah. monster apocalypse hell right there. <laughs> well, I mean... <laughs> I don't know. You're going to die at any moment. Do what you love. And you know what I love? I love watching monster movies. (laughs) You guys must be the film crew. Welcome to Peru. You have to understand all priority is research and safety. 
gotta keep you up and see you. It's on my face, Professor! He's on my leg now. This colour formation is actually a warning colour. As the guide of this expedition, can you tell us more about the animal that entered the campsite last night? You don't want to know what it was. You think you do, but you don't. It will eat you, okay? You don't stand a chance here. So now we move to the found footage segment of today's discussion of creature features with Extinction Jurassic Predators, a movie that went by in a blip and nobody really noticed it and very few people watched it. And uh, because of its title, there's like a half a dozen movies called Extinction. Uh, And there's like three or four now found footage dinosaur in the jungle movies. Like, getting lost in the shuffle is very much seems the fate of this movie. Is it deserved? Well, this is the difficult question that I'm going to ask. I have always been a defender of the subgenre of found footage movies. A lot of people are highly dismissive of it. Our mutual friend Matthew, not a fan. <laughs> he just doesn't doesn't do found footage, right? And there are a lot of people that just either got worn out because they saw too many bad ones or they, they don't like shaky cam or it's just a... But for me, it's just a method of telling the story, and I'm here for the story itself. How you tell the story is less interesting to me as how good the story itself is. But there are certain pitfalls that I have to confess found footage movies can fall into, and this movie falls into several of them. But there are areas where I will throw some compliments to. A big thing for me in found footage is credibility. Is there a reason for them to be filming? And does it make sense that they're filming what they're filming when they're filming? And honestly, for the most part in this movie, it does make sense. They are there to get footage. They are journalists. They are, you know, they didn't just, they're not kids lost in the woods. They're not just documenting their, their downfall or their random squabbles. They, they have a problem. They need to solve it. First, they're trying to find these animals. Second, they're encountering dinosaurs. And then third, they're just surviving. <laughs> and the escalation, the general A, B, and C of the movie, I think structurally works. And I like the build of like smaller animal encounters. Here's a snake. Here's a scorpion. Here's some sounds in the night. Here's a big fucking dinosaur. Like they do the progression well. Where they stumble, and it's tough for me, is the cameraman. We are, by the design of this plot, meant to relate to and like the cameraman, I think. Because as the story progresses, where where he end up when where we end up with him, is the big dramatic juice of the third act, and I hated him. I really found him irritating, and a lot of the other people in the movie seem to find him irritating, and they spend a lot of the time telling him to back off or shut up when he should back off or shut up, and it really really gets the movie's tires spinning in the mud when. The Lost in the Woods, Animal Encounters, interaction with the nature professionals against the movie-making professionals, that stuff's working. But the dude holding the camera, for me, kept on undercutting things. And it hurt the movie badly. Uh, That's where I start. But I'm not going to just dismiss it. It's a bunch of shaky wilderness footage. 
People scream, the camera breaks, they roll credits, it's a waste of your life. I can't go there, and I know a lot of people have with that. I will say, as an appreciator of the genre, and as someone who likes dinosaur movies, there are things to appreciate here. But you'll have to wade through some rocky territory to get to it. I just, um, yeah, I'm like you with the found footage, like... I I like that they were there on a, like uh, a mission. I I really connected to like the like sort of they were like sort of looking at like environmental impacts and like talking about those things. And um, it wasn't just like someone's iPhone camera catching this. You know, like like you said, like kids out in the woods on their camera phones or whatever. Yeah. Um, and I like for me with the found footage is I like the idea of like the unreliable narrator like I like kind of like that that you're seeing what he or they are seeing like you're seeing it through the lens of one person as opposed to sort of the like above view of what's going on right um and I like that because you're trying to piece together what you're what what's being left out and what's being included um so it's a bit of like a puzzle piece for me um but I just I didn't really connect like I like the story of this show but I didn't really connect with very many of the characters on the show and so that was really tough as I was going through yeah. like there was no one that I was like rooting for or hate like I, I just sort of felt indifferent to a lot of them it's a tricky thing because a lot of the times the actors are encouraged to improvise to give it that more realistic films or feel so uh, I don't know how scripted certain scenes were or certain scenes aren't, but instinctually actors try to create drama or interest or conflict in scenes to make them interesting, to elevate things. So the nature guys are very serious about the nature stuff and have no patience for the camera crew. And the camera crew feels bulked by the the, the, the professional nature guys, so they're talking shit about them. And like this sort of secondary conflict doesn't do anything but just make the characters again less likable. Uh, I, th- I think it's an important choice who's holding the camera and what their personality is. One of the many things I like about Blair Witch is that we change perspectives over who's carrying the camera. Yeah, and totally. we see what they shoot and how they shoot and we hear their perspective differently each time. In this case, this guy carries the camera until, spoilers, he dies. <laughs> but... Uh, <clears throat> I'm going to sound like a terrible heterosexual male right now, and I'm going to apologize. <laughs> uh, there's something that happens about two-thirds of the way through the movie, and I, once I noticed it, I couldn't not notice it. Uh, when, the, the main, when they get by the creek bed, it must be early in the morning, and she's really cold. This woman's wearing a tight white shirt, and you can very clearly like see great detail of her like in context it's like shouldn't be like pulling my attention but the movie is so ragged that like I really did feel and I, I not with any pride like I was distracted by her boobs but who was the cameraman that was the point right but like she just been traumatized and she's shaking and she's terrified and she's cold and like this weird I didn't know if it was my leering vision or his. Maybe that was my personal guilt and conflict about it. But, like, 
it was a strange distraction in the third act of the movie that I couldn't ignore because it was very definitely there for me. I don't know. Yeah, no, it was there for just about everybody. Like, let's be clear. Okay. <laughs> there was no avoiding it. It's hard to uh, miss. What did you think of I the lo- special effects? I, I thought it was, like, honestly, these all of the movies on this list the, were much bigger budgets than I expected them to be. Like, right. they were... They were good, like the dinosaurs, like they were, it was, it was good. Like I was, it was believable. Yes. If that sounds real, like I could believe that this was actually happening. The camera's not always in the perfect place to show us the creature, which is good in a found footage movie because if you get it too much perfect too much of the time, then you, you break the reality. And I think they didn't have the money to show a lot of the dinosaurs, but so we get spare looks at them. But when we do see them, they look good. And that's so important to me, because especially if you're going to be sparing with them, like, can you imagine if we fought through all of those trip falls and all of the squabbles and all of the, you know, all of that shit? And when we got to the dinosaur, it was like a bad Muppet or like a, a, a CG inserted into the footage so unconvincingly that it might as well be Mary Poppins or something like uh, it would have broken whatever shaky reality that they still had and I have to compliment the movie when the creatures come they do look good I think well and I think it's like anyone who does a lot of like hiking and camping and you know time in the it's like there's a lot of like what is that what is that what do you hear that yeah like I get I love camping but I'm like terribly anxious when I'm camping I'm not relaxed because I'm like constantly thinking that there's something out there like bears or whatever and so I liked that they had that element of uh, knowing and like kind of leaving it to your imagination what could be out there until you finally saw yeah. the creature right? Well and uh, the, the, the great acceptance of found footage being popularized for over 20 years now 99 was Blair Witch which really sort of brought it to the Big stuff breaks your brain, doesn't it? But um, I know it—it's it, it, so so inundated the culture that we're starting to sort of feel the familiar beats to a point where it's really distracting. Where in your standard horror movie, when somebody slowly walks down a hallway in the dark with a lit match, the audience almost gets mad now because we're just like, "Come on, we've done this before." In a found footage movie, that tracking shot through the woods—what was that? What was that? That's like two-thirds of a lot of found footage movies, and a lot of people find that cheap. But I have to say, just to, to your point, having spent a lot of times in, your, in the woods, if that is exercised believably, it is so scary. Because your imagination is going to get to you so much worse. Like, whatever thing that they show you won't be beat by what you conjure in your brain and a good found footage movie uses that this doesn't completely succeed in that way but there's give and take with extinction <laughs> it's for connoisseurs yeah. but ultimately there's dinosaurs which on both of us for both yes. of us that's a big win big, big plus win right there. <laughs> yeah <laughs> um yeah so it's not going to reinvent the wheel. If you hate found footage movies, don't watch it. If you can do found footage and you love dinosaurs, probably with your time. It's short. So, it, it you know, I, 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 I'm not a big believer in saying skip to the, the third act, but I guess I could say, like, if it's on a streaming platform and you want to see some people be chased by dinosaurs, yeah, you could start it halfway through and pretty much catch up. 
<laughs> like, that's a problem. <laughs> yeah, the, the character development wasn't great in that first. It was first minimal. Bit. It was minimal. But boobies. But the Scott Irwin, or, Steve Irwin, sorry, Scott Irwin, Steve Irwin, like the snake guy. So I'm like, yeah, that was a good character. Yeah. I liked him. Yeah. Like the nature expert. That stuff Very worked. Very excited about everything. Yeah. I liked him. And again, the escalation. It starts small and you can tell that we're gonna we're gonna be going somewhere. So that keeps you holding on and hoping. Whether or not delivers, I guess, will be up to the people who watch it. If you can find it, because good luck. Although Rayleigh found yeah. it. I need you to run down a Otley. What for? Well, they pulled what was left of a body out of the swamp down there. It's chewed up real bad. Something ain't right. We're here to investigate the death of your husband, John Crankton. There's been a curse put on this place like none I've ever seen. I'm getting out of here, and once I'm gone, there won't be nothing to keep that evil thing away. That is not a shark. So you're saying there's a uh, swamp monster out here killing people? Look at the size of the scale. There's no thrill to compare with hunting something that can hunt you back. If we don't bother it, it won't bother us. Excuse me. I, I want to go home. We're going to have to kill her. Let's go, boys. We ain't getting out of here alive. It can breathe out of the water? How can it do that? We are fish food. There's another one. I dedicate this review of Frankenfish to our mutual friend, Mr. Lee Beckman. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, Frankenfish is an absolutely bone-simple, like, B-monster mo movie. Like, it's low budget, its goals are minimal, the characters are types, it doesn't do a lot of big, brash things to, like, draw attention to itself or say, you know... We're being the best Frankenfish we can be. Um, there's a couple of plot points that I, I found genuinely surprising in the way things played out. And um, I uniformly like the cast. I almost always find in movies like this, there's one or two performances that are like cringy or like, oh, that was a friend of the director, clearly. But they actually assembled a decent cast here. Frankenfish. It absolutely is what it is it's uh screenplay is weird and goofy but i don't think in an intentional like archer we're, we're winking i think it was really trying to be legit what it was like when the evil millionaire has that pet lynx or whatever that's hanging out next to the topless chicken it's like i don't think that was meant to be funny i think that that was like He's a cool, sinister villain, and they have weird, exotic pets and hang out with topless chicks, and that's stupid and ridiculous. And the movie's full of things that are stupid and ridiculous, but you know what? That's fine. I love it a lot. I think it's a fucking... It's a blast. It's a jam. It slaps, as the kids like to say these days. <laughs> I'm uh, hip to this movie's groove. Um, I, I just like that it's rough around the edges. I like that it's, you know, being all it can be, and that is 
a cheesy monster fish movie and it 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 really does there's a uh and what's i don't know what you would call him his job he's investigates nature issues or environmental yeah some sort of conservation officer that's that's a good let's say that uh needs to investigate there's a plane crash people are doing sinister things and uh we get into this sort of like floating cajun village and it gets seized by well we've frankenfish (laughs) unfortunately and this must be disappointing but we should make this clear to the listeners in this case frankenfish is the monster there is no dr frankenfish (laughs) it's uh, this is not a commentary on man's stepping too far into the uh, annals of science and stepping into god's territory and and being punished by a monster fish no no this is just a, a a big fish in a swamp eating people and i dig it um, and in the way that we don't see a lot of the CGI and creatures in Jurassic Extinction, we that is not the case in Frankenfish. We see this fish is everywhere. Yeah, they do all of the things. We see them all in every scene that they're involved in. Almost, I think there's a couple like what's under the water moments at the beginning, but those are fleeting, and then we just see. Yeah, it's actually some of the top-down shots of the CGI is the few things that are a little bit inconsistent because the fish looks way too big in a few of those big shots. But uh, I don't think people are going to be wowed by the CGI (laughs) necessarily. But uh, it does the job if you go with the movie. And I think that's true with most of the movies we talk about today. Like, you got to meet a movie (laughs) like Frankenfish halfway, do you not? Well, and then there's the whole sort of extra plot line of the, like, religious sort of cursed or, de- like, that the community, the mom is um, talking about in the in the little community there. Cajun um, hoodoo sort of stuff, yeah. Yeah, which I thought was kind of like another element that they brought in that they didn't, didn't need to be there, but it didn't subtract from the movie, which I really liked. It didn't add a lot, but it didn't take anything away, so... Yeah. Um, I, I like that they seeded this relationship between the, the two sort of leads investigating the show. They, they just met each other and they're going to bond through this conflict. And by defeating Frankenfish, surely they will fall in love, right? Yeah. No, and the, they have the like bikini clad, beautiful biologist scientist in the, in the boat. Right. She's classic trope, you know, she's great. That's exactly what she needs to do. They have the, like, leaner guy dating the daughter. Yeah. Leaner. Yep. I have no other word to describe him. And there needs to be interesting tertiary characters who we like enough to be amused by, but we we don't feel so deeply about so that one of them gets their head bitten off. It's not devastating, right? We're not like, no! Not them! Not that weird guy! (laughs) There's a rich variety to the kills, 
Um, sometimes, three times someone will disappear into the water. Sometimes someone will get their head bitten off. Like I say, memorably, one of our main characters, a gun goes off and blows off half of her face. In this, like, jaw-dropping, like, I genuinely didn't see that coming, Frank and Fish. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> it, it also, like, comes through the, like, float homes. Like, you're not safe, even hmm. when you're in your house, right? That's right. And that gives me a Tremors vibe. And anything that gives me a Tremors vibe... That's a good vibe. I like that. <laughs> um, I also have to note that I watched this in conjunction, like, at the same weekend as Zombievers. Nice. <laughs> and the beavers also came through the house, which I thought was a nice element. Spoiler alert. Sorry, spoiler alert. <laughs> oh, we've discussed Zombievers on the podcast before. The Zombievers are much more puppety in their effect. This movie definitely yes. relies more on the CGI. But... I just like go with your go with what you got and uh, use it to the best you can. And um, I think that is something that is dating the movie, but uh, it's not as bad. And again, I don't mean to rag on you, <laughs> really. Like, uh, I know you like your Sharknados and your Sand Sharks and your Ghost Sharks and whatnot, but uh, it, it's not that level of bad CGI in that, like, it's, it's, more, it's more the CGI is just uh, old than it is cheap, if that makes sense. I think when Frankenfish came out, it probably looked decent. Or am I just When did it come out, sorry? <laughs> I am going to say... 2004. There you go. Yeah, I have it up here. Yeah, no, I thought... Yeah. I also like the idea of, like, there's always, like, the small town sort of outsiders coming in. Yep. And, like... This had that element with the float home community, right? And then you had the, like, white chakra hippie people who were, like, had living in that. And they were just, like, the first to go. And I was like, good. Yep. Get them out of there. It's so annoying. Uh, I, I mentioned how it gives off vibes of other movies. There's a sequence where the uh, bad guys are find the plane crash in the water and they're they're wading through the water to get to the wreckage I got Anaconda vibes and here's a compliment that I can pay Anaconda or Anaconda sorry Frankenfish it's in that company for me of movies of like really goofy over the top yeah the special effects are here neither here nor there but it's so fun that you just have to go with it and forgive it's every flaw like Lee put it on the list of like the best movies of the 2000s and I don't think I could go there it's a guilty pleasure choice and I, I, I'm not shaming him at all but uh, I, it's definitely something that I would encourage you if you like monster movies and you haven't seen it you should check it out and it does feel unsung you know, it, it is one of those weird movies like, like Black Sheep or Zombievers or whatever, where it's just like, there's a small group of people who are really getting off on these movies, but I really feel like there's an audience to be found here. <laughs> like, uh, this is one of the things that I resent about the digital age is like, if, if it's not incredibly popular instantly, it's gone forever. And uh, it doesn't give it chance to grow a cult audience. Like... This should be one of those little movies that could. It didn't make any splashes in 2004, but all of a sudden, in 2024, it's coffee talk, half in, you know, in, in most places. Well, and I've always, I mean, I've mentioned this before when we've done 
previous episodes, but like I always think of uh, like who can I recommend this movie to, or who do I have any friends that would like this movie? And like when I'm ranking them, or when I'm suggesting them to people, or whatever, and like surprisingly, this one I think has like the largest audience of my friends. Like of my social circle, this was the one that could hit most, like more than like. Jurassic or Monsterland. You know what I mean? I hate to use a fishing metaphor, but it does spread a pretty wide net, doesn't it? Like, <laughs> oh, Larry. Hey, dad joke, dad joke. What you gonna do? Um, I don't know. I don't know. It's a weird one to review for me because, yeah, there's flaws all over the place. There's archetypes. Some of the characters are real, some of them are not. Um, but they're all there just to be pieces on the board and. It's classic form. There's a group of people. They're going to be whittled down to a few survivors. There's a, you know some some smile, knee slapping worthy surprises to be found throughout it, and it's it's a fun little jam. And uh, and I think the ultimate question is like, are are the creatures going to get out into the world, or are we going to stop the creatures? Like that's always the hope, right? Is that this small group of people will eliminate the problem so it doesn't infiltrate right and i love i love how this handles that i love how it i hate i hate to break it to you rayleigh but i believe that there's been frankenfish breeding in louisiana for 18 years now (laughs) (laughs) so uh i don't know i don't know i don't know what to say other than uh check out frankenfish if you haven't do you have any 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 final thoughts (laughs) no like i mean like it's funny because you use monsters to also mean creatures and I sort of draw like a distinction between like a a good monster movie and a good creature movie okay and like this is just like a classic creature movie to me like it just has all the elements of like what a creature movie needs to be and that's all you need to know if you like creature movies really So you're like the distinction, like what animals attack. Like if it's a bear or a shark, it's a not less monstery. This is more man versus nature than man versus beast type of territory. Yeah, yeah. Right. Uh, I think that typically when we do have man versus nature movies, like Jaws, for instance, that's a monster. Like I know in the story it's a great white shark, but in the movie it's a monster. <laughs> right. Yeah, fair. <laughs> It's funny because I don't consider Jaws a creature movie, even though it clearly would be a creature movie. I don't know. Maybe I need to flesh that out of my own head a little more. <laughs> but Sand Sharks is definitely a monster. <laughs> it's a creature movie. Okay, okay, okay. Creature movie, but uh, uh, so then not a suitable double feature with Frankenfish. No. No. Okay. Unless you watch it first. Okay. <laughs> They're all dead. Jane shot them all. Why would she do that? Eggs. Like the ones from the mammoth. We have to be quarantined. Quarantined? Are you out of your mind? It's full of eggs. The same ones that are in Jane and the same ones that are in Link. And me. When are we going home? Soon. What is that? We need to seal that door. You can't just chop off body parts. What are you doing? What are you I doing? I need to see her.
So we talked about a straight monster movie. We talked about an anthology monster movie. We talked about a found footage monster movie. We talked about, I guess, a creature or an animal monster movie. <laughs> sure, animal. Uh, now we're going to talk about an eco-horror. <laughs> this is one of those things where, you know, man's fucking with Mother Nature and Mother Nature is going to slap them back. A bunch of scientists have found a mammoth frozen in the ice and they're throwing it out and there's parasites on it and these parasites could well spell doom for the world. Prehistoric parasites. Oh yes, absolutely. In its better moments, it reminds me of a really good found footage movie by Barry Levinson called The Bay, which has great ick factor as far as like bugs getting under your skin and having to pick them out and the crawliness. And uh, they do attempt a, a subversion of narrative with the Val Kilmer character. But um, the movie is hurt by other better movies very similar to it. And this bad habit that a lot of uh, low-budget horror movies have of opening with their strongest cards. The first thing that we see in this movie is a snippet of a monologue that we're going to see slowly more of, delivered by Val Kilmer. Not completely phoning it in as he has in the past, but not as invested as we would like him to be, I would say. And then it cuts to this image of this woman with a small wound on her face and some gentleman with tweezers reaching towards it and an insect thing crawling out of the wound and then back in before the tweezers can get it. Those two things are the two elements of the movie that I think work. <laughs> Uh, the story of this scientist who we start off cheering for, but the more we learn about it, the more we find out we shouldn't be, and the ick factor of the bugs. But the execution overall, and like I say, the existence of other better movies like The Thing or Larry Fessenden's Last Winter, which I will never stop celebrating, uh, just there's it's been done better significantly several times. So I feel like they needed to bring something more to it. Uh, and, you know, when we don't know who can be trusted or we don't know how to trust people's uh, motivations because they may or may not be infected. And how is this all going to end? Probably with some kind of large explosion. Like, the more we get into the movie, the more I know what this movie is and the more there are no surprises to be found around any corner. But it's kind of unfortunate because in those first few steps that we're taking into it, it has all of the premise and all of this plot engine of a really intriguing sort of epic horror movie. It just, it's sort of in the end a bit of a teaser to me. Um, but that's, that's where I start. Yeah, like I think this just could have been a parasite movie. Like I don't think they needed to add like the daddy issues with like the other like like the second group of you know I mean it, it added a bit and like it kind of helped to expand the story like don't come here like he's you know that you that kind of helps you realize that he knows what's happening yeah. and he does want to try and stop it like it gives you those but I think there would have been less terrible or clunky ways to like tell that story without this whole extra plot of these like young kids scientists coming with the daughter all of a sudden yeah they're um, all very 
wet behind the ears, like you say. Young seemed fresh out of school, but they're supposedly scientific professionals sent to this outpost. And yes, one of them is Val Kilmer's daughter, and she hasn't had a good relationship with him, and his last message was strange. Told her not to go, but she's going anyway. And all of this plot is very, very clumsily fed to us on the way to the station. Once things get to the station, they come become more interesting, I think. Um, and the, I, I like the icky get your feet off of the floor feeling that the parasites give me like uh, when we first see the uh, lab that they're in there's just this sort of furry mass in there and they keep cutting back to it and then you see a little bit of movement and they cut back to it again and the place is just alive with these parasites and it it does give me that reaction and yeah like I was I'm like scratching as we're talking about it and in the movie I was like the heebie under my skin like CGI doesn't often do that for me so I will compliment the movie for that um, but yeah the, the, it, there's the, 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 it's one of those things where you can see the better movie there so it's not even that the movie's like that bad it's just it, it with a few extra steps it could really actually be something and, and because I want it to be more I find myself being hard on the movie being angry at the movie I like the idea of somebody being infected and knowing they're infected and that changing their motivation. Like, um, the right thing for me to do is to isolate and save the rest of the world, but that's probably going to get me killed. Is there another solution? That is an interesting conflict. Um, having the will to know and then execute an amputation. Okay, it got in my arm. I can't dig it out. If we take my arm, is it going to be worth it? <laughs> like, and again, that's a the the scene's decent, but I think with uh, another pass in the script and maybe another angle of the uh, of the direction, it could have been very strong. <laughs> you know. Well, and I think like the very real like element of like the glaciers are melting and could unearth something that we've never seen before and we don't have the immunity or the science and it's and it's it's ancient so like i love like that's <laughs> terrifying yep. to me. like that's a very terrifying thing that could maybe really happen um and i think they could have just that could have been enough and then i really love the like like the sort of spanning shots of like the Arctic and the sort of isolation and like that would have been enough for me just to sort of camp in this remote I mean basically I just want to watch the thing okay let's yeah. just be real the whole time I was like yeah I just I just gonna go back and watch the thing because that just did it so much better in its basic breakdown, it is not different enough from the thing to not be compared to the thing. And if you're going to be compared to the thing, you are going to lose. <laughs> like, you exactly. are going to lose. And I feel very strongly about The Last Winter, the Larry Fessenden movie, which is much the same thing. They're drilling in the ice and it's causing things to melt faster. And something in the actual thaw, like something they're breathing in, is affecting their brain chemistry and they're going crazy. And everybody's affected a little bit differently. And, uh, like, it's just a really well done, sort of chew your nails down to the bone sort of horror movie. And that's what this movie, The Thaw, wants to be. And I want that for it. But it's it's just not. 
uh, I had this weird uncanny valley, uh, what do they call it when uh, people misremember things but they think it was a different dimension, uh, Mandela effect thing yeah. with this uh, Aaron Ashmore kid because it's like, Aaron Ashmore, that's the guy from the X-Men movies, is that... Is that Iceman from the X-Men, maybe? I don't know. What? Or from that Frozen movie? I swear I know him. No, he's that dude's twin brother. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so, like, nice. there was a reason he looked, like, uh, immensely like him, but, like, it did become strangely distracting. He's just a Canadian character actor, and now I probably confused them in the past. Now that I know that they're twins, maybe it's happened before, but... Uh, I don't know. Uh, there are like fun... Like that brother from Mallrats, the London, Jeremy, and Jeremy something London. London brothers or whatever. I always get those two, too. Right. Well, and there are good Canadian actors here, and, uh, like, I took a hot, wet shit on Val Kilmer for, like, sleepwalking through a different role. I don't think he's, like, fully invested here, but I don't think he out-and-out out sucks here, either. The big, uh, sort of attempted subversion of the movie is that we're supposed to go into this believing that this is an altruistic scientist and he's trying to save his daughter he's trying to save the world and at the end of the day either because he's been rendered mad or because he's just he's lost hope that humanity can wake up any other way he feels unleashing this parasite on the world will somehow you know stop all of our environmental crises let's add a new crisis and this will fix things <laughs> and you know the fact that that would include infecting and killing his own daughter doesn't even get a chance to register for him. I don't know. And, yeah, there's just something about the big explosion at the ending that... <sighs> even just, like, the wrecking of the helicopters, right? And this all of it, like... Yeah. It just wasn't... It's, it didn't stand on its own feet. No. It didn't, like, do... Like, even with Val Kilmer, like, he was fine. Yeah, but he didn't like there. There wasn't a role that I was like, oh, that needed to be played by him. Like it really could have been played by anyone. Like there was nothing about that role that needed to be Val Kilmer or that he brought specific skills to the. And to the, the final role, you know? like beats and moments of his arc weren't particularly dramatically satisfying for him or us. <laughs> like, uh, yeah. he doesn't die feeling like he's accomplished or, or, or like he's failed. Like, he just, everything stops all of a sudden. Um, it's a very forgettable I, movie, I guess, is where we're kind of circling, isn't it? I will say, though, the scene at the end where the dog, like, is, like, eating the infected bird. Yeah. Isn't it like a... So, uh context right now there's like avian flu really bad and i take my dog out to the country to like take her for runs and there are bird carcasses everywhere around certain areas that i have to like where i normally would take my dog and so again that scene of like i do not want my dog (laughs) eating an infected bird yeah very real fear for me right now and it like i have to like avoid certain areas so, no, the premise the and story. Here, you know, the are here. Yeah, the premise and story taps into some real fears. Absolutely, like the ideas are strong. Like the, the the base materials for something cool is here. I just uh, I don't know if it closes the deal. And you're talking about the stinger ending. It's sort of the dun dun dun. When they first find the carcass in the ice, we see that there's actually a bird pecking at it. 
So yes, it has been infected. This dog has got infected. It will go on to infect other people. The parasites are coming. Don't go to sleep. <laughs> it's only a matter of time. They're coming, really. Many moons ago, a nameless evil was imprisoned in a place far beyond reach. Hurry up! If he were ever to be released, it would spell certain doom for all existence. Is that fear I smell? Your planet will be torn to pieces, and I will Mimi, treat your screams as I rip. Is this yours? Uh, oh my god. The gem of Paraxonite. Whoever wields it is able to command me. Go over there. Uh, and wait for us to come back in the morning. You will suffer an eternity for this. Bye. Mom, Dad, I want you to meet Psycho Gorman. Or PG for short. I will bathe in your blood. Don't worry. Be worried. Psycho Gorman. Again and again, I just repeat myself on the podcast. I talk about Canadian-made films and how there's like an almost needless layer of madness to them sometimes where they just... There's that extra scene or that extra shot or that extra moment where like they really didn't need to make it that weird or that... Was that really the, the, the best angle that they had at that moment? Like, why did they choose to be this excessive at this point in the film? And Psycho Gorman is not just another representative of this. I feel like it's attempting to live inside that moment. It's a really, really self-consciously crazy movie. And when I was talking at the introduction of this episode, there's an exception to those movies about this is this is a movie that's very aware of how much of a movie it is, and that like the the artifice, the world is not pretending to be real at all. The family that we're introduced to is deeply strange. Like, the characters, the neighbors, like, even the the neighbor kid and his parents are fucking weird. Like, there is almost an attempt at this weird... It's too much to say Cohen-esque or lynching, Lynchian sort of approach, but, like, this is a different universe that we're being introduced to. And we're seeing it mostly through the eyes of these two kids, most specifically a young girl, who I would argue is the true monster of this movie. <laughs> I can say as an elementary school teacher, I was like, not, did not want to spend any time with that character. I was like, no. But I love how unapologetically awful she is. And the movie is okay with her being unapologetically awful. She and her brother unearth this creature called Psycho Gorman, but she gets a hold of this glowing medallion and it has to obey her. And she uses it to bully people and to accomplish her goals. And she teaches it her weird crazy ball game. And uh, her parents and police get involved. And there's a bizarre and crazy, like, body count happening to the side of this, which doesn't register to this little girl at all. She's not going to lose a wink. It's like, she's a full-on sociopath. (laughs) Like, she is crazy awful. But I love how bonkers this movie is. There's there's a percentage of, like... um, Power Rangers 
in some of the weird monsters and the like almost self-consciously artificial design of the creature costumes and mandibles and like there's something fake about it there's something weirdly garage sale about the way these monsters are put together but they're also awesome and they're, they each one of them are very individual and speak of their own universe and their own stories and um the guy who made this movie made uh, another movie called The Void, and I really liked it. It was he was going for some Lovecraftian thing. People are trapped in a hospital, surrounded by cultists. Creatures start showing up, and I remembered thinking that that movie had moments that were just so off and crazy that they didn't quite fit with that movie he was making there, and it distracted from it. And that's because I think this is the movie he was made to, <laughs> to produce. Like, say what you will. Say what you will about Psycho Gorman, but it is an original piece of horror. I have not seen anything like it, and I don't anticipate seeing anything like it soon. It might be too weird for some people. It might end up in that John Dies in the End or Rubber or, like, weird art fuck horror movie that's just like too strange to be consumed by mass audiences but I have to say I know this was your consolation prize because we wanted to watch a different movie and this was our last minute substitute I had a blast with Psycho Gorman it worked pretty much wall to wall for me but I am willing to hear a second opinion <laughs> so I will say that this is like the movie on the list by far like I had the most like it was like I laughed the most yeah in this movie I think that all and the other ones I sort of laughed at because they were kind of terrible or because like oh that was just like laugh out loud funny because it's just so ridiculous but this then, movie like, wants I you to laugh because it was ridiculous and it wanted me to laugh that's right, right. yeah um the siblings, I really appreciated that they were, like, sort of the archetype, like, sociopath and, like, moral compass. Like, the brother is, like, the good, you know, and they sort of put those two. But, like, just, like, I felt that this movie, even though it is a monster movie, like, didn't... It, there was something different about this movie that maybe didn't fit the list for me for some reason. Or... So I, I, I was coming at it from like a different perspective and I think if we would have watched this on a different list I might have had like in a different context I might have I don't know maybe it was because of the disappointment of not being able to watch Pink Hunt could that but like <laughs> I just I wasn't as invested in this one as maybe I wanted to be alright you were you, your arms were folded you're like I'll guess I'll watch Stupid Psycho Gorman <laughs> well yes. I I can I can appreciate how you don't necessarily want to fight this movie at all. Like this is a movie that just asks you to go with it, <laughs> and if you're not, that that could be some some hard hard ground to cover. Um, but yeah, no, it was fun, and like you said, like the parents, the whole like suburbia community, the like the little girl with her medallion, and just yeah, she was <laughs> just like. The monster himself, like Psycho Gorman himself, and as he progresses throughout the movie, just so He looks like a living Masters of the Universe figure, like a villain from Skeletor or Snake Mountain or something like this. <laughs> and um, 
he's really frustrated that he has to do the bidding of this little girl because he spent generations <laughs> bringing pain and wrath in the world. And uh, I, I like that the movie never compromises on that's what Psycho Gorman's about. Like, if he had his way, he would kill the universe. That's, that's what he wants to do. And while he's playing these bullshit games with this little sociopath, you know, this is being prevented. And uh, all these alien interests, one upon finding he's awoken, come to Earth to try and hunt him down. <laughs> and um, it's really weird how the, the parents react to it. Um, both of the parents are both strangely likable at times and yet detestable at times, too. The mom seems to love her kids, but she's impossibly strict and she really throws in with these aliens quite quickly and gets quite violent about like getting her way but the dad is like pathologically lazy and uh like he makes supper once and wants a, a ribbon for it and he destroys the microwave in the process and uh he's got a bunch of strange lines where like i'm not supposed to am i supposed to think he's redeemed as a dad at the end of the day like are is this little girl crazy because of her parents? Or are her parents crazy because of this little girl? <laughs> like, I mean, they're going to need to put a lot of money in the therapy fund. Let's just say that. <laughs> Uniformly. Like, the shrink that, 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 that deals with this family therapy is going to need their own shrink. Uh, the violence in the movie is unexpected. The other aliens who are trying to, like... Yeah, like when they come into the story and it's not just Psycho Gorman anymore. No. Then they pile it on. Just the random acts of violence that we're subjected to. Uh, there's one little kid that's just walking down the street, says something to Psycho Gorman, and he pops the kid. The kid just explodes. And the girl, and the, they just keep walking. It's like, whatever. Business as usual. Uh, the, the movie... Yeah, let's go play some crazy ball. Yeah. Like, the movie is going for this awestruck, aren't we all better people, and the family is Bond, and Psycho Gorman promises that he's not going to kill the family, but he doesn't promise that he's not going to kill everyone else in the universe. So, the family can go home and go awestrucks and Bond, and like, what have we learned, but what have they unleashed upon the world, and what are we as an audience supposed to take from this, and is that funny, is it absurd, is it horrifying? Um, I also had this moment when I was watching when they were playing the crazy ball like, where it was like did you ever read the Calvin and Hobbes comic strip? Oh yeah. Where he had that like made up game. I can't remember the name of what his made up game was now but he just keeps like changing the rules so he can win. Yeah. And like that like Calvin would have been Mimi if Calvin was a real character just this like <laughs> weird fucked up sociopathic kid who just like wants to the universe um i i think like things like the police officers being well one of them being killed and sort of having this horrifying half-life where he's wailing in pain and begging people to kill him being played for laughs and again the little kids being completely fine with this insane violence being witnessed like I, 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 we don't know their history. We don't know that they've seen death before, like beyond television, but it did seem like they were underreacting to everything that happened. 
Yeah, like almost like underacted, right? Whereas like the other movies was like overacted, like Monsterland and things like that. This was like kind of in some ways in that element, like underacted or just like, oh, well, all right then, let's go play or let's go do something else. But even the parents, when the parents first see Psycho Gorman, they lose their shit appropriately. But the kids... Meh. (laughs) And I just love how crazy it is. I have, you know, a a soft spot, a weakness for originality and insanity. And this movie has a lot of both of those. Uh, Yeah, and he just, like, becomes, like, a part of the family, right? Like, he just starts, like, doing things and... um... It reminded me to, again, I will always bring it back to, like, in Terminator 2, where he's like, don't kill anybody, and yes. then he just, like, maims the person, you know what I mean? Yeah, I <laughs> swear I will not like, kill anyone. <laughs> yeah, and, like, that was kind of like Mimi just, like, controlling with this gem, right? Uh, it seemed weirdly appropriate. The father badly breaks his arm. I can't remember how he breaks his arm now. <laughs> but uh, at the end, he says, like, I feel like we've really learned something. And the wife says what? And before he can answer, he starts passing out from blood loss. <laughs> and no answer is given. And credits roll on Psycho Gorman. And that's just how it goes, you know? You just gotta take this one right on the chin. I went with it. Really, maybe less so is what it's sounding like. I think, I, yeah, I think it context for me I think I was coming at it from a different this movie wasn't like a a horror movie it wasn't like a it was just like a straight up like gore fest I don't know like it wasn't there's nothing creepy about this movie or like it was just fun it was just fun and ridiculous I think and okay with being ridiculous like like Pardon? it's okay with being ridiculous it's embracing its ridiculousness yes. yeah yeah ridiculous and i mean that as a as a compliment like yes it's ridiculous in just all of the good ways yeah. right and i was just like not coming at it from that perspective like i was expecting kind of something different so again i think in a different list or in a different world this would have fit a little better for me um, but this one just felt like the odd man out of this list. I still enjoyed it, though. Yeah. Again, don't know who I'd recommend it to other than, like, present company. Uh, other co-hosts of your, uh, guests <laughs> of your show, but... The little girl has her crush turned into a giant brain with eyeballs. And the movie closes with the giant brain with eyeballs having supper with his parents and them having idle chatter. And credits roll. And I just shook my head and I'm just like, what was this movie? I don't know if I have an answer, but I liked it. So. Yeah, it was fun. <laughs> Good enough? Yeah. Rayleigh Perkins. Thank you so much for being back on the show. I really love having you. I know you're really busy. I won't bug you for a while, but I can't promise you that I won't bug you again to do the show at some point. Because... Oh, I love this. This is great. I've come back. <laughs> uh, uh, yes, yeah, so big love to Rayleigh. Big love to all my peeps in Regina. Uh, what was your least favorite of these six creature features and why, or monster movies and why? 
Monsterland as number six. Okay. And the reason is because it was just so all over the place. Like, I couldn't, I couldn't, like, I wanted, it was great that there were individual moments in the show that I liked, but, like, it wasn't, because it was an anthology, because it was these short, and, like, what did you say? I think there was eight, seven or eight. Like, it just jumped really fast for me, and there was, like, I, I just wanted more of, like, a more of a like cohesiveness or like some sort of tying theme and like you said other than the guy watching the movie like we're being in the movie theater like there was no other piece tying it together it, it's almost and, just a series of sketches there's no nothing tangibly tying it together no yeah and it was like the sketches were fine the premises were fine there were moments that were fine but there was just nothing that like really totally jumped out but again I really want them to make a full length of that last one with jellyfish like that one I would be all in for 100% we'd review it on your show Hellyfish the movie okay. let's see it let's see it okay so number five please I put Psycho Gorman oh wow okay yeah and I just it uh, I don't know I needed I needed pig hunt I think I was just like wanting something totally different I uh this movie was fun and campy and I could recommend it to people but it wasn't like a creature monster movie that I was like craving you know what I mean it just didn't fit and it was I think it was maybe just like too fun too ridiculous for me like I was just like yeah this movie's too fun I hate it (laughs) yeah I I don't want to what? I want like existential dread. Like, come on, people. <laughs> um, it's good. I think in another list, in another context, I would enjoy it a lot more. But just in this world, it wasn't. It wasn't for me. Fair enough. Number four, I put Thaw. Okay. Um, it had some great elements. The, like you said, the bugs were like I was. I was grossed out. The premise, I was like creeped out by like just it 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 just it didn't deliver um it didn't like take it to the next spot where it could it could have been a really great movie um but it had all the elements of a really great movie and i it made me think about what if someone melted a woolly mammoth what if something what if we unearthed this gross prehistoric parasite that infects the world and living in a pandemic world right now i just i made me think a lot about those things yeah. Um, the amputation scene also really got me. Like that. Uh, like I, I liked it. It, it was gross and blah, it made, like just everything about that scene. Um, so I think that helped it a little bit. Number three, I think I put Jurassic Extinction. All right. Uh, uh, again, it had a lot of great elements i this like the, the when you see the dinosaur when you see the creatures like um i was kind of spooked like i had a couple moments where i was like what's going like where are they going to come out from like and i jump scared or whatever you know yeah um i enjoyed it i like a good dinosaur movie this was a good dinosaur movie it was fine like it was good like i enjoyed it um i also just liked the premise of it and yeah i put it at number three that is a so, lot. 
Oh, oh, here we go. Number two, I put as Graveyard Shift. All right. This movie, I was not expecting to like as much as I did. I when I looked at like the cover of the movie and read up on it, and I was like, oh, like like an old Stephen King low budget. Like I don't know, it'll be fine. Um, but yeah, like you said, like the graveyard shift, working in this like rat infested like mine, the like work culture of the community, the rats were gross. Like it was just gross. And when you throw the rats in like the, where they're like processing the cotton, like the grinder machine, and there's just like all the blood from the rat, like if he's like tormented, like. <laughs> Yeah. The ick factor is there, yes. It had all the, like, types, like, the tropes, the characters. Like, I knew what to expect. There was nothing, like, shocking about this movie or, like, out of left field about this movie. But it did everything I wanted it to do well. Um, In a way, like, in a way that I hadn't seen, but also in a way that was, like, inherently familiar and comfortable. And I didn't, you know, and I, I just really liked that about it. So that leaves number one as Frankenfish. Yay! <laughs> because it's just, it's Frankenfish. Like, this is the reason I picked this list was because of this movie. Like, <laughs> it's, it's fun, it's stupid, it's gory, people die, there's a creature... There's a rich millionaire guy. Like, what more do you want from a good creature movie? Like, it just had all it just had all the pieces with a little bit more of a budget than some of the previous creature movies I reviewed on your podcast. Well, that is your list. <laughs> um, uh, in a way, I almost have to say curses to Frankenfish for being number one. Because we were really close to going zero for six. <laughs> Woo! Have you ever gone zero for six? Oh, it has happened, girl. It has happened. Okay. Uh, yeah, uh, we have very different lists, but I, at the same time, I don't really feel like we're going we're gonna to fight about this necessarily. Like, I enjoyed the lists. All the good and bad aspects of this, like... These are my jams. This is my rest and after days work. Turn my brain off. Sure, let's watch some horror movies. Even my bottom ranked one, especially coming off of Bad Movie Night, this is competently, you know, executed. But uh, I did like some better than others. I also feel like we should maybe explain that originally we were going to do a movie called Pig Hunt. Ray Lee keeps on mentioning Pig Hunt, and uh, she couldn't get her hands to it, so we uh, we switched at the last minute. So I, I'm wondering how much that would have changed the outcome of the list, just that one movie being on there. Fun fact, Les Claypool, you know Les Claypool? Bass player yeah. Primus? <laughs> he plays yeah. a hillbilly killer in Pig Hunt. And just oh, man, the other, and just the other day, because the, the timing wanted us to do this, I heard there's a new Primus album. There hasn't been a new Primus album for like, what, 
10 or 15 years at least as far as I know and now there's new Primus videos going on anyway that's all a huge aside but um, because you're so invested we will find a way. You and I, no one but Rayleigh Perkins gets to review Pig Hunt on Rankin Ridges. <laughs> Who knows what else you're going to get stuck with on that list, though. So here's my rank. I'm sorry it's so different from yours, but we're still good buddies. Uh, oh, in, yeah, we'll do it again. <laughs> in sixth place, I put the Thaw. It does have really good ingredients, but... I don't think any one of the ingredients isn't derivative of something else that was better executed than this was. Definitely has its moments, it's competent, the cast is trying their best, but something had to be at the bottom, I put it there. In fifth place, Extinction, Jurassic Predators. Yeah, I know that hurts your feelings a little bit. I, uh, I am a defender of found footage, but I do think, like, the artificial conflicts, the guy behind the camera being a little more irritating than he needs to be, and just, it really muddies things for the first two-thirds of the movie. The movie does get good, but it takes a good while to get good. So uh, that, that, that held it back. But I do like the dinosaurs, and I appreciate once the dinosaurs came, like, they look good. That would have really pissed me off if it, if they didn't deliver once the dinosaurs showed up. In fourth place, and this is the hardest one to place, I was surprised you put it at the bottom, but uh, Monsterland. Because it is just everywhere all at once. Like, there were a couple... The, the, the first animated short did nothing for me. The second animated short kind of broke my brain, but I don't know, like, how to feel about it. Um, there was this some watchable fun shorts but there were some that i struggled to remember plot points for while we were there it's very much an all over the place mix which is anthology movies but if it's to your taste i would yes. say check it out check it out uh, especially hellyfish as as rayleigh mentioned all right so in third place graveyard shift absolutely bone straight monster movie they're not overthinking anything um if it's a metaphor for anything else it's i think accidental <laughs> like uh but really good character actors really pushing their main accents and hamming it up to a good extent this is a very much an is what it is movie but uh i don't know it, it's aged weirdly well like i say i like it more now than i did back in the day and not because I'm making excuses for it, because it's actually it actually ages pretty well. So, graveyard shift. Give it a pat. Give it a look. In second place, the bizarre Canadian oddity, monstrosity, comedy, family value, sociopathic, apocalyptic thing called Psycho Gorman. <laughs> I had a big stupid smile on my face while I watched it. Uh, like, it's it's up there with like a Canadian-made movie called Hobo with a Shotgun for just how fucking insane it is. And I, <laughs> I appreciate that it's that fucking insane. It's fucking insanity got it to second place. And that girl is terrifying. She's the scariest thing in that movie, as far as I'm concerned. And in first place, as discussed, Frankenfish. 
the little bee monster movie that could. It's it's just really good at being what it is, and what it is is enough. And uh, it's got surprising rewatchability. It's got enough energy and enough surprises to to keep the popcorn going. And uh, it's a good monster movie. So watch it. So there. There we are. There's the list. Uh, five for. <laughs> We, what is it? One for six? We got one out of six. We, we agreed on the top and nothing else. Usually the top and bottom will, will, will line up more often than not, but uh, the middle is always tricky. Um, so no, I was, uh, was set, we were set up for a fall. You are not stealing the championship from, from Lee, but the day may come. It'll happen. Do you uh, own Pig Hunt? Where did I you do. get it? I do. I owned it. I don't remember where I picked it up. I, I, I like. Okay, well, I'll just have to get it from you when the next time I'm in Saskatoon. Next time Lee comes up, I'll send it down with him. Or if I'm going down there, I will bring it. I will get it to yeah, you. Yeah, I'm coming up at the end of May. So. Sweet. Sweet. We'll make it happen. Uh, you need to do parenting, and I need to do sleeping. So yes. I'm going to cut us off short here. But thank you so much for being a Mumrankin Review. Ah, uh, there's a there's a lot of love in this garage right now. <laughs> Bye. Have a great sleep. Take care. Girl. Another day, another podcast, and six movies where many, many people died by monster. I hope you guys enjoyed that. Thank you for putting Rankin Review in your ears. Please tell that other movie fan in your life about this podcast. I appreciate you. And the I in this conversation is your host and random Canadian, Larry Parsons. You can write me at rankinreview at gmail.com. That's R-A-N-K-N-R-E-V-I-E-W at gmail.com. The website is rankinreview.ca. Be a friend. Tell a friend. We drop every other Wednesday. Boom.